Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show. Macatrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, all sorts of pre-owned inventory. Great service department, excellent sales staff. And it's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 at Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Loaded show coming up today. Sam Carcitti from the Philadelphia Inquirer at 335 to talk about the embarrassing Flyers who went to a new head coach in Mike Yo after filing Elaine Vigneault yesterday. And things really didn't get that much better as they lost to the Avs last night at home in a high-scoring game. They allowed... 50 shots, which I think was a franchise high or close to it. So, yeah. So we'll get into that with Sam at 3.35. Tony Knopp is back with us today at 4.06 with the latest on the business and sports. Lots to get into with him with the college football playoff and the bowl games coming up. Checking on things where, how things have been in the NFL. Things that can happen with baseball, with the strike now, or the lockout now officially underway and the rest of the major sports. So always always exciting to have Tony join us today. So that'll be a 406. And then Neil Kulong with the latest on the Steelers. Of course, we had Jerry Dulac yesterday. If you missed that, you can check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast and our social media as well. And I love one of the reasons why I love having Jerry on is to give the exact accurate info that you need to know for Steeler Nation. And he had an important distinction yesterday, or clarification, I should say, in regards to the Adam Schefter report about Big Ben's future, which seems still unlikely past this year, no matter how you slice it and dice it. But there were some important clarifications there from Jerry yesterday, so I'm sure we'll get into that, too, with Neil as well to close out the show. That was a fascinating Monday Night Football game last night. The Patriots get a monumental win where they entered into a four-way tie basically for the number one seed in the AFC. You're only a half game up on Buffalo for the AFC East. And they go in there to very windy Buffalo dealing with near 60 mile per hour wins. They only pass the ball three times and they win the game 14 to 10 on the road. Adam Schefter said this yesterday. The Patriots' three pass attempts 
were their fewest in franchise history and tied with the 1968 Chiefs for the second fewest in a game in the Super Bowl era. And the Bills once attempted two passes in a game versus the Jets in 1974. Patriots also became the first team since 19, the 1978 Saints to rush on 90% of their plays. It was just fascinating to see them just keep going to it and let alone have success with it. And most of the success was just running straight up the middle. That's how they got the big touchdown run last night to get things off. And that's still a pretty good Bills defense. Now, I get they were shorthanded last night, but it was just astounding to see the Bills just not be able to get up there and stop the run. Not only that, too, they dominated, the Bills did, winning the battle of field position. The first quarter and a half, two quarters, they were averaging starting on the Patriots' side of the field because of the wind. Their punter had a tough time getting the ball out, averaging like 22 yards a punt. I, that was... More the, one, one thing is clinched to me, Steve, is... More more complaints. No, I, I thought... No, I, more, I'm... More complaints. I am just fascinated by the way that game turned out last night. Just when you think Bill Belichick has done anything to win a game, he just steps it up one more. It, it really is well, just here, remarkable. Here's the key to the remarkable coaching job. What did New England do last night? <laughs> Ran the football. No, it's not. No, that's not it. What did New England do last night? Let's see how. Let's see how closely you've listened to me over the years. Well, I definitely kept it simple. Nope. Okay. In those conditions, what did they do? Played with the lead. Oh, well, yes. The game plan worked because they got to the lead in the game. And then did the two-point conversion because of the wind and made it. And that two-point conversion hung over the entire game because it allowed New England over and over again, to continue to play with the lead. The lead. Yep. That's what made what made the game plan successful was New England play with the lead, thus never had to throw the football. See where I'm going here? That's absolutely. That's, that's the whole thing right there. The game plan worked because what they were hoping for. What they were hoping for, they got. And that was they got in front. And by getting in front, by getting in front, that allowed them to never deviate from the plan. They never had to throw the ball because they were never behind. So they didn't have to deviate from the plan. They could keep running the ball. Conversely, was it, is it Brian Daybold? Is he the offensive coordinator? Like, everybody's like, oh, he's great. He's awesome and incredible. I'm like going, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, he keeps running Zach Moss up the middle, and he never goes anywhere. And you're sitting like going, is there some point where somebody looks over, hey, Brian, why don't we bag it? Okay? And he never did. You're like, what are you doing? Right? He ran him up the middle over and over and over and kept wasting downs. He has a quarterback that is a brilliant runner. 
and ran no design runs for him. No design runs. Especially when they got in the red zone. I kept waiting for, like, okay, here we go, first down. I don't mean quarterback draw here. I'm talking, like, hey, first down, let's get him to the outside, let's get him to move. Hey, pick up some cheap yards, right? And he wouldn't do it. No, we'll run Zach Moss up the middle. Okay, it's second and seven. Did it finally, like, occur to Brian Daybold at some point that, like, every time we do this, it's second and seven? It it was as... I kept seeing that going, what is this guy doing? I couldn't... I, I just finally looked at him and go, I said, I don't think... This guy's totally clueless. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that I I couldn't believe. So so Josh McDaniels, he's the genius, but you're a genius when you don't have to deviate from your plan. Daybold had to deviate from his plan, and acted like he had no idea. The key to okay when you have problems offensively, or you got a problem night like that. Okay, you have to have answers. That's the key to any good coordinator on offense and defense. There's a problem. Do we have answers? Well, okay, Josh McDaniels never had to have answers last night because he never had to deviate from his plan. Never. He could stick with the same game plan because they're playing from in front. Okay. Meanwhile, the other guy, we need to deviate from the plan. No, we don't. I've been told I'm really smart. No, you're not. (laughs) It's like, you've got to change. You need to change. Simple as that. And he never changed. Right? They got in the red zone, made some good calls going in there, whatever. You're not the most accurate throw on the face of the earth. I got it. Uh, But you've got a quarterback who has the distinct advantage of the ability to move. The ability to move. And he wouldn't move. He wouldn't run them. And one of the biggest plays they had in the game was when he scrambled and gained, what, he gained 30 yards? They did, yeah, and right. it set up one of their scoring opportunities. Right, exactly. But they would get inside the 20, right? And here's the part where you've got the advantage. You've got a quarterback that they're over there going, okay, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Right? And they never took advantage of having a quarterback that is a very good runner in those conditions. I think he I mean, it, I'm Sean McDermott. He's in my office today, and we're having a long talk. Like, exactly what was your thought process last night? I'm sure he was asking him during the game, Brian, what's your uh, thought process here? No, no, I got it. No, actually, Brian, you don't. <laughs> you don't have it. Uh, and ultimately, though, when why I guess Josh McDaniels is getting the genius credit is he at least mixed things up with the running game. I mean, not only were they most successful up the middle, which was astonishing in itself, but you mixed in the toss sweeps, which led to the two-point conversion. They had the mix of wide receiver jet screens, or jet sweeps and stuff like that, too. It wasn't just straight-up run up the middle like the Bills were trying right. to do. New England mixed it up with the run game in itself. They, they mixed it up, but again, okay, the genius of the plan was, was simple. You're, you have the lead. You don't have to change anything up, so you can run a variety of run plays. Because guess what? If it, you know, if the drive ends in a kick, okay, it ends in a kick. 
You're risking when you're playing with the lead. You're risking less. Right? You you're hold, when you're with holding the lead, especially in those conditions. You're playing with all the cards. The key play to that game was the two point conversion. It hung over the entire game. Suddenly, it's eight seven, eleven ten. Right then, fourteen ten. So now, because it's fourteen ten, you need a touchdown. It was that two-point conversion. The entire so say they kick the extra point there, and it's thirteen ten. Buffalo can force overtime at the end with a field goal, but because of the two-point conversion, it's fourteen ten. And in those conditions, going to that end of the field, the two-point conversion is the right call. Even if they missed it, I would have told you it was the right call. And, you know, and this is the other thing, too. This, What we saw last night with the Bills is the reason why they haven't been able to get over the hump yet as a true contender, championship contender, is you mentioned, obviously, the poor offensive game plan. But Sean McDermott continues to make some head-scratching decisions. Kicking the field goal against the win late in the game when it was, like, fourth I, and medium? Would, no, I was okay with that. No, 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 no. I was okay with that. I mean, it just turned that the guy missed it. I'm fine with that because now I'm going to get the ball back, and now I'll need a field goal to win. So, in other words, if they make that field goal, you don't need that fourth down play at the end. You're kicking a field goal to win the game. So, to be honest with you, so Matt, I'm, that to me was not a head-scratcher. I thought that was the right call. He just missed it, which happens. I mean, that's so I have no problem because remember that last drive of the game they needed a touchdown because he missed the field goal. Okay, if he'd made the field goal, and it was what thirty-five yards, it was yeah, it's about right. an extra and, point length. Right. So if he makes the field goal now, that drive at the end, I'm not going to you know obviously especially with the win you're not going to guarantee he's going to make it, but you would have kicked a field goal at the end to attempt to win the game instead of trying to throw it in the end zone. So I have no problem with that. I think I thought that was the right call, and I thought the math was right. And the time and the clock and the math were both right. How often have we seen uh, over time that somebody makes a decision, like, we're going for it now, and then you sit back and later says, boy, I wish we'd kick the field goal now. We only need three. To, you know what I mean? The, the time and the clock, the spot in the field, and the score – told me the kicking the field. I, I sat back and you know, that's the right call. That's what I'd do. Because I'm thinking I'm going to get the ball back. And they did. They got the ball back. Meanwhile, Nick the Greek over here rolling the dice every time I turn around. <laughs> get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Oh, boy. Out there picking up leaves today. and The thought of the suit. Okay. It just seems so meaningless. Just thought of All right. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it just seems so meaningless. I, I was kind of like going around. And like I felt like I was listening to a shit again. All right. Well, I'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. When do they start basketball, by the way? 
Uh, next week, I believe. Next week. No, Saturday. Sorry, this Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday is Shikalemi. The Soup Memorial Tournament. Something like that. Yeah, I think that's the name em- of it. E- emphasis on memorial. No. <laughs> <laughs> Come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay, okay. So, at what point did you guys know you're going to have such a run heavy approach? Was that the plan all week, or was that something that you were no, to do? No, no, no. You know, we didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, but, you know, that's the way it worked out on it. You know, like Josh did a good job throwing the ball out there today. And, um, no, it's, it's not easy. I thought he did a pretty good job. So, not that he, you know, had a career day or anything, but it was it was tough conditions. But he he slung it in there pretty good, made some really good throws. Bill Belichick, and again, you you start out a certain way, and then as it's going, say, you know what, we don't need to deviate. I mean, people think like you got the whole game scripted out. No, that's not how it works. Uh, very quickly, uh, this is the 80th anniversary today of Pearl Harbor. Tom Brokaw termed it the greatest generation. And think about it. This is the only country in the face of the earth that could win a world war on two fronts. We're losing our World War II veterans at the rate of about 245 per day. Since this is the 80th anniversary, those remaining are now in their late 90s. To all of them, we say thank you, and we love you. We are able to live our lives the way we want, because when the time was needed, you came through in the scariest of circumstances. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Sam Cartini, Philadelphia Inquirer, joins us to talk about the juggernaut that is the Flyers. Uh, Sam, welcome. Great to have you with us. Happy holidays. Same to you. Same to you, and uh, always good to be with you, Steve. Same here, Sam. All right, so Vinyu gets let go. Not really a surprise. What didn't work with him? Well, you know, he obviously lost lost the team. I mean, you could see that they just were not playing hard for him in the, in the last few games anyway, and and uh, I think the injuries caught up to them a little bit, but you know, other teams had injuries as well, and, and you know, they, they seem to have a lot more depth. But as far as AV's concerned, uh, the system was not working, and and he didn't have any answers. And uh, I actually thought they would give him this entire week because, as you probably know, they play five games in seven nights, and I thought they would uh, see how they were doing at that point because that's that's kind of what. Uh, Chuck Fletcher alluded to last week. You know, he, he said he wasn't in panic mode, and and uh, you know, let's get through this road trip. And and uh, but uh, you know, the seven-one loss to Tampa Bay, an embarrassing game and an embarrassing performance, a listless performance. 
it kind of expedited things, and uh, you see where we're at today. Yeah, uh, boy, it's hard to lose a team, uh, but uh, losing is a is, is a way to do it, obviously, along the way. But where do they go from here? Because it just feels like a lot of ways the Flyers have been circling a fogged-in airport for a while. Yeah, it's it's you know it's been Groundhog Day. I mean, this is the sixth different coach now in eight years, and uh, you know, to me, that speaks volumes. It tells you it's you change coaches and nothing changes, so it tells me that uh, it's another problem. And I think the problem is you know wasn't Vino. I think the problem was the personnel they have here. They I think they've overrated some of their draft picks and the Probroves and St. Himes and Konechny's, uh you know, are, are pretty good players, but they really haven't taken the next step. And uh, when you're a first-round pick, you have to be more than that. And, uh, you know, they haven't gotten the production from those guys. And and uh, the draft picks is just one of the problems. Uh, as I said, depth's been a problem. Um, and right now, you know, forget about last night. They, they finally scored more than three goals in a game for the first time in 18 games, but, uh, you know, they just are not playing with confidence and, and they're not they're not scoring. I mean, most games they're scoring one or two goals and you're not going to win that way. And the defense is now taking a step back. I mean, that was their identity right. in the first 10, 10 games of the season. They were getting great goaltending from both Carter Hart and Martin Jones, and the defense was solid, but, uh, you know, that has not been the case now in, in the next 10 games. And, and uh, you know they're they're a hot mess right now. Uh, you know let's not sugarcoat it. And uh, you know to me uh, to me it's time to rebuild. That that's that's what I would do. Not not a uh, a half-hearted rebuild like they've done in the past, where they you know try to bring in some young players, but also try to make the playoffs at the same time. Uh, I think if they were honest with the fans and, and do you know take a page out of the Rangers book. Uh, you probably recall about three years ago, the Rangers sent a, a letter out to the uh, season ticket holders and said, "Hey, we're do, we're starting from scratch. You know, basically, we're we're going to break this down to the core and we're going to rebuild it. And please be patient with us." And it's worked. And, and yes, they picked up a, some pieces along the way, uh, most notably uh, Panarin. But uh, you know, they they added a lot of young play, uh, players. They added a lot of first. And second round draft picks, they rebuilt their farm system, and uh, you know I think that's the way to go for the Flyers right now as well. I think what they've done is I think they've always been worried about how the fan base would react to a teardown. Do you think the fan base is ready for a teardown? I do. I really do. Just from yeah, you know the I agree. Just from yeah, just from the tweets that I get and and the emails and, and the texts, I, I think people. You know, want some honesty, and they want they want this team. You, you know, you're if you're in the middle all the time, you're not going to get the good high draft picks, and you're really not going to have much of a chance to get past one round. They've only gotten past the first round once in the, in ten years now, so that's that's kind of been the direction of this team. They're they're kind of stuck in the middle, and that's the worst place to be in sports. You know, I, I think if you if you tear it down and, and build it up, people will be patient. And, uh, you know, it can be enjoyable, too, to watch the young kids yeah. develop. And, and uh, But, uh, you know, they even get fortunate. They get a, a number two overall pick, and that didn't even work out. So, um, yeah. you know, it's 
it's been a rough time with with this team. It really has. Uh, yeah, I think for over a decade now, or about a decade. Yeah, what they're in right now is what I refer to as the Atlanta Hawks syndrome. The Flyers have been good enough to make the playoffs, not good enough to ever advance, and you just get caught in that vicious, I'm really going nowhere circle, and I feel like that's where the Flyers have been. They've, they've got Atlanta Hawks disease. Yeah, that that's a good way to describe it because, uh, you know, realistically, even if they, they catch fire and, and get in the playoffs uh, this year, uh, I don't really see them going going far. I mean, and and the problem right now is a lot of teams, you know, with what St. Louis did three years ago, they were uh, dead last out of 31 yes. teams at the time. And uh, that was in early January, and and uh, they made a coaching change, and, and uh, it took a while. It took about six weeks before they grasped Craig Berube's system. And... Uh, you know they they brought up the goalie Bennington. He got uh, he got hot. They went on a roll. They won uh, eleven straight. And the next thing you know, they're not only in the playoffs, but they're they're going all the way and winning their first cup ever. So I think right. a lot of GMs now have that uh, syndrome that you know, hey, if we just get in and our goalie gets hot, but you know that that just that was an anomaly. That does not really happen too often. And uh, that might happen every 25 years. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't count on that. To me, wow. you rebuild and, uh, you know, it, it, instead of trying to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle, if you will, and, uh, you know, I, I do it a, a different way and, and yeah. start to rebuild now. The St. Louis Blues were a great story. Well, the reason it was a great story is it hardly ever happens. That's why it's a great story, uh, it, without without a doubt. On the defense, on the defense, you and I have both seen it, Sam, in every sport. There's a section of, the, of, of a team, football, basketball, hockey, whatever, really good, hanging in, really good, hanging in, and at some point they need help, and, there's, and then all of a sudden it, it breaks. And that's because they never got the help. And the offense has not helped this defense at all, and it finally broke. I mean, it's just too much yeah. pressure on them all the time to, to keep getting stops. Yeah, they gave up 50 shots last night uh, in a home game. And, uh, you know, they, they committed five uh, five penalties and gave up three uh, power play goals. And, and, you know, that's not a recipe to win. They, they picked up a guy off waivers today from the uh, Florida Panthers, Kevin uh, Connaughton, who's uh, like a stay-at-home guy, a 31-year-old guy who, you know, is maybe a sixth or seventh defenseman. He's not going to uh, raise the bar for this defense, but they really, they really miss Ryan Ellis. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, he, he was the big acquisition in the off-season, and uh, as you know, he's been hurt, dismissed most of the season. They're, they're hopeful that he'll be back uh, before the end of December and he would he would certainly solidify things if he could stay healthy um, and uh, but as I mentioned before Ivan Provo uh, it has been a disappointment I mean yeah. Provo it seems like needs somebody to stable stabilize his game he was terrific when Niskanen was here had a bad year last year without Niskanen and has struggled this year without Ellis and uh you know, by this point, you know, Prover has been around a long time. He should be able to anchor a top pairing, and he just hasn't taken that step. And, 
And the same thing, I think, goes with Travis Sanheim, who has no goals in the, what they've played 21, 22 games now. And I really thought he was going to be a guy who scored 12, 13, 14 goals a year, a good puck mover. And they just haven't gotten that development from him. And, and uh, as I said before, I think uh, the lack of uh, development, the lack of star power from some of these number one picks has really hurt them. And, and you can throw uh, Nolan Patrick into that, too. Of course, right. there were some extenuating circumstances with his injuries. But, uh, you know, they, they really needed him to uh, uh, be a, a worthy number two pick, and, and that didn't happen either. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a line in the in the movie Mission Impossible Fallout, and this, I think, goes to the Flyers' offense. Yeah. Hope, yeah, good. hope, hope is not a strategy. Oh, you must be new. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> Sam, what a pleasure. Great to have you with us. Uh, let's uh, not be strangers on this. Always great talking with you. Same here, Steve. Happy holidays to you. Thanks, Sam. All right. Uh, the ratings, by the way, are in on the conference championship games. Yeah, some interesting numbers here. We'll give it to you in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> All right, here's the viewership for the championship games. Number one, Alabama, Georgia. 15.277 million viewers. Number 15.3 million viewers, up 70% from last year. All right, that's no surprise. Next, the Big Ten championship game. It was number two. Okay, also no surprise. 11.7 million viewers, up 45% from a year ago. Baylor and Oklahoma State was third. 8 million viewers, up 168% from last year. Wow. Friday night, Pac-12 title game, 4.2 million viewers. Oregon, uh, for the uh, uh, Oregon-Utah game, up 10% from last year's Oregon-USC game. The American Championship game, 3.4 million viewers, which was head-to-head, by the way, with the SEC title game. That 3.4 million is up 82% over last year. So everybody was up from last year. Everybody. Okay? 82% American, 10% Pac-12, 168% Big 12, Big 10, 45% up and the SEC up 73%. Oh, wait, we left one out. Hmm. What was my prediction on Pitt and Wake Forest? What did I say, 2 to 3 million viewers? Yes. Hmm. I guess they didn't two, even reach that. 2.66 million. Oh, you hit it right on the head. There you go. Down 73% from last year. down 49% from two years ago. I told you, nobody wants to watch those teams. Nobody. I mean, you're sitting there, you're prime time, you're head-to-head with the Big Ten, you've got 9 million fewer viewers. Holy mackerel. I mean, I mean, that's a title game that was in the Witness Protection Program. It's the only title game that was down, and not only was it down, it got destroyed. 
That's, again, it tells you everything. Okay? Brands mean something. And those are not Pitt, Wake Forest, just are Power Five and name only. They're not brands. It has nothing to do with Penn State and Pitt. I'm just, I'd be saying the same thing regardless. When you're dead last for the weekend in viewership, in other words, like nobody really cared that you played. I mean, seriously. I mean, everybody up, even you, okay, Utah played Oregon. Now, that's not Utah USC. Excuse me, it was Oregon USC last year. You still got 10% more viewers this time for a game that was a rout. And they had twice as many viewers as the ACC title game. Cincinnati played an afternoon game head-to-head with the SEC title game, had more viewers than the ACC. That's... To me, the numbers are the damning commentary. But it is everything turned out about the way we thought it would. I mean, it's like when you put the Eagles in primetime, nobody watches. Except for the people who want to complain. Just kidding. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Yes, just kidding. The ACC title game is the equivalent of Thursday Night Football having Jacksonville taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Nobody wants to watch it. Yeah. It's one of those where you're the ACC and you're looking around going, man, we need to change something. And the, the, the key is... I, and this this was part of Notre Dame's problem this year. Notre Dame ended up being fifth. Part of Notre Dame's record was built on a five and zero ACC record. They're five and zero in the ACC this year, and they, they the only brand that really has any juice right now in the ACC is Clemson. That's that's not you know that's hard to work around. I mean, if you are the Pac-12, you know your primary brand is USC, but you feel pretty good that a Utah-Oregon game, which you know was a, you know essentially a standalone. I think it was up against the what was it? It really wasn't up against much because uh, the MAC. Let's see, who was it that played on Friday night as well? It was, it was Texas San Antonio. It was in action against Western Kentucky. Is that sound right? So you're not up against much, but it's also Friday night. And you get four and a half million viewers on a Friday night for Utah and Oregon. It's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. No. That's, uh, I mean, brands mean something. The Big Ten brand... The SEC brand, Alabama, Georgia brand, Michigan brand, um, an undefeated Cincinnati, so they're, they're playing for stakes. 
I mean, for them to draw three and a half million opposite the SEC title game, I mean, and you outdraw Pitt and Wake Forest by about a million, million and a half. It's you know, you're the ACC. You're sitting there like going, oh boy, this isn't good. And the ACC, you know, for example, the Pac-12, like, hey, got Lincoln Riley. You know, they made a big off-season splash. Uh, the Big Ten is the Big Ten, so they're making splashes all the time. SEC is the same way. The ACC had no splash. And, of course, the Big 12 is being poached. In fact, in some ways, you got poached. Brett Venables left Clemson, and you now he's the uh, head coach at Oklahoma. Interesting. But numbers are the numbers. Tony Knopp, next half hour. Neil Kulong, final half hour. Um, Matt has a series of complaints. No, I'm all good today. I, I, I enjoyed the football game last night. The Flyers are what they are. As their fraudulent GM said two days ago, it is what it is. <sighs> Three passes. And by the way, Tim Kirchin, good friend of the show, Baseball Writers Association of America, Career Excellence Award, formerly known as the J.G. Taylor Spink Award. Well-deserved. This is one of the nicest guys in this business who is as knowledgeable as he is nice. You always want to see great things happen to terrific people. He's great at his job, and he's an even nicer guy, and I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled for him. Got a note from the suit. Suit doesn't understand how he was the how he personally was the runner-up again. <laughs> and, and I wonder right back, how do you know you're the runner-up at all? And he, he emailed back, it's just a guess it had to be. We'll have to check on that. Always a bridesmaid. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.